Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. All right, I want to share some today. As Seth mentioned, uh, about the Holy Spirit, Lord willing, over the next few weeks, I'll get to talk some more about this, uh, also known as the Holy Ghost, right? Or the Spirit of God. All those are synonymous, the same person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about him some from the scriptures, as well as some personal experiences as well over this time. You know, sometimes in my role, just as a pastor, and leading uh, Hydrating Humanity, former CIA, I, in rooms of people, particularly with people I don't know, um, people, if they know that about me, they'll ask me questions related to one of those three things. And sometimes my wife is with me, and people don't ask her as many questions. And it honestly makes me feel bad. And here, here's why. Because my wife is amazing. You heard her speak last week, first off, right? right? So she, was, she did a great job last week. But she really, much more than I did, raised our five sons, right? She birthed them. She raised them. She's smart, has tons of wisdom, obviously beautiful. She's a better communicator than I am. She's very gifted, but she is more in the background in some ways than I am. And so a lot of times people aren't as interested or asking her questions like they would ask me. And I feel bad for them because she has much to give, right? I think probably in some ways as the Trinity family of God, I don't have to describe that. They prefer one another. You see Jesus preferring the Father, the Father preferring the Son, but they also prefer the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that is the least talked about, the least person that we ask questions of or want to get to know. The one that is actually not only not asked questions of or interested in, but usually oftentimes ignored, maligned, even spoken evil of, which Jesus said that's serious business there, right? And he's also so misunderstood. So that's one reason why I want to take these three weeks to talk about this aspect of God, this person of God that isn't talked about a lot. And we need him. We need him. And you'll see as we go through this sum of just the overall plan of God, he is, it's like the secret weapon that was planned up by the Father and the Son to give and to send is this person, Holy Spirit. Incredible. And so we're going to dive into some of this. It says in Zechariah 4, 6, The Lord speaks to Zechariah. Zechariah says this, writes it down. Not by might, you know the scripture, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He's talking about how things get done. Mountains being removed, things like that. How does it happen? Does it happen through human ingenuity? 
strength, human intelligence? No, it happens by the Spirit of God. For things to change in large fashion, in ways that people can't do, who does it? The Spirit of God. Now that's Old Testament before he came. He would come here and there in the Old Testament. Completely different than the New, we'll get to that. He is at the beginning in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in the first chapter, in the second verse, right at the very beginning, here's what we find. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, or a waste and emptiness, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. So before God starts speaking things into existence, after he had already formed and spoke some into existence, but before he continued on, he, we find here that the Spirit of God is there. The Spirit of God is hovering. The Spirit of God is moving over that which is chaotic and out of order, and he's about to do things that cause order and brings light into darkness. You find the Holy Spirit, he does this today as well. Amen. He can get right into the chaos and make sense of everything. He can get right in the middle of darkness and all of a sudden he brings a light and an illumination and a truth and an understanding that cannot come any other way. It's by the Spirit. It's not by power or might. It's by him that does this. And then if you fast forward from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, to the very last book in the Bible, all the way at the end, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Verse 17, here's what we read. The Holy Spirit, here we are again. He's at the beginning, he's the bookend here of what is written in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit and the bride. That's, who's that? You and me. The bride all around the earth and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the bride say something together. They say, Come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take and drink the water. So here we got the Holy Spirit and water again. In the beginning, at the end. He's bringing chaos to the waters in the beginning. In the end, he's giving waters to drink that spring up to eternal life. Hallelujah. Without cost. The Spirit of God, from beginning to end, in the middle and all the way through, and particularly after Pentecost, which we'll be celebrating here in a couple of weeks. The Spirit of God is present. He does things. We need him. He is powerful. Several years ago, I was standing on the soil of the nation of Tanzania, Africa. We were there looking to help a village that had never had clean drinking water ever. And it was a new place for me. As I was standing there, my team's doing the work. My friend Pat Selvey, who you know, was there with me. We were standing off to the side talking. The men were sending signals down the ground with the terameter to find out where the water table is so that we could dig and drill there. And as we're doing that, this older man, probably shoulder height to me, walks up to me glaring at me with I would say demonic eyes just uh, looked at me and glared at me like he was wanting to hurt me <laughs> type of look, kept going, walked over next to about 30 other men that were watching our guys work 
started saying things. All the men turned around and looked at Pat and I and started laughing. And then he would say something else, they'd laugh again. I thought, this is weird. So I asked my interpreter, who was standing there, Jackson. I said, Jackson, what is this older man saying? And he said, uh, he felt a little bad about it. He said, he's making fun of you, sir. <laughs> and when he said that, it provoked something inside of me. And I would never recommend that you do this, what I did. <laughs> but I said, Jackson, would you please go to this man and ask him a question? First, say, make a statement, then ask a question. Say to him, you're very old and you may die soon. <laughs> and then ask him if he knows Jesus. Now, I know that is harsh. American society, you would never say something like that. In many other countries, you can be much more blunt and it's just truthful. He was very old. He didn't see old people around there. And it's very true. He may die soon. So anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't say that here. He does that and the guy's not offended. He starts talking with Jackson and they start walking our way. They get to us and some of this, then I enter the conversation and he says, no, I don't know Jesus. Um, I've been serving the gods of this world, basically is what he said, his ancestral gods. And he had all these bracelets and charms speaking of, uh, related to his ancestral worship and uh, demonic stuff. And, but as we started, we didn't, I didn't share the gospel but I did talk about changing, that God is real and he can change us. And um, then he looked at me again and it was like his look in his eyes was different than when he walked by me, he was mocking me. And then he says this, he says, uh, he says if I'm gonna change, you need to come to my house. I thought, okay. So he doesn't have a vehicle, he gets an hour's. We take him to this little house that's his. It's really a dark room, about 10 by 10, filthy, nasty, little mattress on the floor. And he had told us before we got there that he was the witch doctor of the area. And he was in charge of female circumcision, which is a barbaric practice that really is illegal. It's horrible where um, they forcibly uh, cut and then remove the clitoris out of girls when they're 12, 13 years old. And um, he's in charge of enforcing that. So we get in his little house, and it's just pitch dark, and he says to me, he says, what do you want me to do? Which was bizarre. If you've ever shared the gospel with someone who's a Muslim or a witch doctor or something like that, usually you've got a long conversation for hours, and it's a fight. This was none of that. And... Um, I said, well, here's what you're going to do. I said, get everything related to your witchcraft and put it in the middle of the floor. So he started grabbing branches and stuff from the wall and bottles of nasty-looking oil and knives. He had all different kind of knives. He puts them in the middle of the floor. And I'm thinking, as he's doing this, this is way too easy. This is way too easy. And I'm waiting for the other foot to fall. What, what is, what, what's, what's, what's going on here? He piles everything on the floor, and then um, he looks at me, and he points at me, and he says, you, you've been coming to me in my dreams. And he said, uh, when you come to me in my dreams, you take me, and he, like this, 
and you put me underneath water, and then you bring me back up again. That's what he said. And all of a sudden, it makes complete sense to me why we're in this moment in time that has nothing to do with me other than I said yes to going and getting to this country and helping. God had set something up way beyond me by the Spirit of God. He was moving before I ever got there. And so Jackson then, our interpreter, says, uh, Matt, can I share Jesus with him now? I said, yes. <laughs> so he shares the gospel with him in his language. I see this old man fall to his knees. We fell to our knees around him. As he starts to repent of his sin, starts to weep, he gets down on his, his knuckles as well and his knees. We then surround and pray for him, cast out everything we could think of, Ask him to be filled with the Spirit. And then um, I said to Jackson, I said, where is their water? Because we got to baptize this guy. This is what he's seen. And he says, uh, the only water he asked them, the only water that they had were in Tanzania was in Kenya, which was across the border. It was only a couple miles away, but it was the closest that they had. We hadn't provided any there yet. So we crawl in our vehicle. We drive across the border into Kenya. There's this little creek. You can put the... First photo up there. That's me with dark hair. <laughs> this little creek, his name is Moida, the guy with the yellow shirt, the witch doctor. I explained baptism to him as we're standing there. That's Pat. We rolled up our pant leg. And I explained baptism. I forgot to explain. He's never seen one before. So when I sat him down on his hind end there, his little toes sticking up out of the water. I never told him to shut his mouth. So when we baptized him, he went back like this. <laughs> All this water, one cough, it came out, he was fine. Then he stood up, you can go to the next picture. And there he is. He went from this mocking person to, honestly, I'm going to say 25 to 30 minutes. I don't remember exactly the time, but it was that much time from when I first talked to him to that. After going to his house, praying for him, him receiving Jesus, all the, and baptized. A witch doctor in half an hour. He's now praising God, soaking wet. Yeah. yeah. We get back in the vehicle. You can go to the next slide. We get back in the vehicle. Look at that smile. We get in the truck. We're driving. I, I'm just, I am exploding on the inside. Never seen anything like this. I said, Moita, I said, I'm curious, when did you start having the dream? I forgot to tell you this. Right before we baptized him, he said, this is just like my dream. Fast forward, we're in the car. I said, when, was the, when did you start having this dream? And he said, I started having it when I first joined the other men in their witchcraft. I have no idea what that means. Oftentimes, people in Africa don't keep track of time real well. It's not as important most people don't know when they're, especially his age, they would never know when their birthday was. They might know a year, perhaps. Um, and so I didn't know how long that he'd been having this dream. I'm guessing that maybe it was around the time I was born. That's a guess. So imagine that, okay? A grown-up Matt coming to him in his dream, baptizing him when maybe I was one or 10 or 12 or whatever, right? And then this happens. 
So I said, Moita, when was the last time you had this dream? And he said, I had it last night. We get him home. That's his house right behind there. One of those blue doors is one of his little, uh, these are just like, kind of like apartments. They're, they're divided. So, um, and he says, I, I, can you, I need one thing before you go, if that's okay. I thought, oh boy, here we go. The money question. He said, nope. He said, I need some soap. I want to wash some things. That was his last request. We came back and visited him later. He wasn't happy with us. Three days later, uh, I was trying to find out what was wrong. And he said, I don't understand why you've done this. You've, um, you've told me about Jesus. You've prayed for me. You've baptized me. I, have this, I know, know the true God. He said, but why did you withhold from me my new name? He was not happy. I never thought about that one time, about renaming him. But in, again, their culture, your name is associated with your beliefs, with your religion, with what you're, who you're following. So he now has a new God that he's following. He needs a new name. Now, when I had first seen him, when he came up to me and we were talking, um, for a moment, he reminded me of my grandfather. Just a quick glimpse, he reminded me of my grandfather, whose name was James, and he Met the Lord, he was the last of my four grandparents to die, and he met the Lord right before he died. And so I just said to him, I'm so sorry that we've offended you. We didn't mean to withhold your new name. Here it is. Your new name is James. Named him after my grandpa. And I explained who James was. He got this big grin, we got pictures. Anyway, that's the story there. So here's the deal. I didn't do that. The Spirit of God did that. The Spirit of God moved into his life and started giving him a dream, a reoccurring dream over and over and over and over to set him up for the day that he would have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus when he was introduced to him, to give his life to the Lord. Incredible. That is one thing that the Spirit of God does. He does so many things, but he's the, the giver of dreams. Right now, there are hundreds of thousands, some who are watching this in Iran, this message, who have come to the Lord because a dream of an angel or Jesus coming to them and giving them the gospel, telling them about the true God. We see it through the scriptures. It's happening right now around the world. The Spirit of God is doing this in so many different ways. And I understand even saying Holy Spirit brings up images, emotions, and different feelings for every person. Depending on your life experience, your church experience, um, you're going to be thinking something just maybe different than your neighbor related to the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. To some, he's associated with odd people doing weird things, barking, rolling around, they used to say swinging from the chandeliers, those type of things. In many Calvinist churches, uh, is a set of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't work anymore. He doesn't, the gifts of the Spirit were just for that time. They died with the death of the last apostle. That would be a common teaching um, that was actually in my family. My great-grandfather was a Baptist pastor, and that would have been his understanding or his teaching that he would have. So it's avoided. You don't talk about the Holy Spirit much or what he can do or is doing now. And in fact, if you are from a church 
or a group in the body of Christ or in the church that is believing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit of to, for today, then you're actually, what you're seeing is demonic things going on. And it's actually a demonic manifestation because God doesn't work anymore. How many of you have heard that or grown up that way? I'm curious. Quite a few. So to others, they think about he's the, uh, the force from God in the first century, but maybe isn't really relevant right now. But to us, he's the third person of the Trinity. The Bible describes this really, really well all the way through, which we're going to go through some of this. And he's the one who brings power, comfort, help, truth, illumination, dreams, and we need him desperately. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the greatest surprise to mankind. Uh, Jesus was a great surprise too. But I think there are more people believing in the Messiah that would come, and many are still waiting, though he came, than those who believe that the Holy Spirit would come and do what he does here in the earth. He's the greatest gift that no one saw coming, except for John the Baptist and a few prophets. But he's God coming to dwell inside of us, and he's not scary, he's wonderful. He's amazing. When God breathed into the mouth of the first creation, Adam, which is basically kind of Adam and Eve together in one man at that point, when he breathed life, that breath caused the human spirit to come alive and for him to come alive. The blood coursing, the heart beating, the lungs expanding. When God breathed on mankind again, the next record that I can find of him doing that was a resurrected Jesus with 11 scared guys in a room. It says he, John chapter 20, he breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. First time I breathed on you, you became a living being. This time I'm saying receive the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus did. And then of course, at Pentecost, not long from that moment, this rushing wind sound enters the room and they were all filled, baptized by this same Holy Spirit that Jesus told them to receive. He was prepping them to be ready to receive that which comes into the room in a way they weren't used to, another breath of God into them. And this was prophesied in 800 years or so before Jesus, the prophet Joel says in chapter two, of Joel, it will come about after this that I will pour out, I like that picture, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams like Moeda, your young men will see visions, even on the male and female servants, it's not just for a few prophets, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, he's poured out on all who want him on all who will receive him. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Ezekiel, around 550 BC, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. It's really speaking of the new covenant and the transformation of what Jesus would do in us and give you a heart of flesh. I will, verse 27, I will put my spirit 
spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. He's prophesying there will be a day where the spirit of the living God will actually reside inside of people. That was really weird, I'm sure, back then to even conceive of that, to think about that and consider it that this God would live on the inside of people. Wait a minute, God's up there. There's a temple we go to, and his presence shows up there sometimes. But him living on the inside of people? Ezekiel prophesied that. And it says there that the Holy Spirit would cause you to walk in my statutes. You'd be careful to observe my ordinance. The Holy Spirit helps us walk in the ways of God. Ezekiel also recorded a vision, I won't read the whole thing, Ezekiel 47, of water. It's the temple, he sees this vision of the temple and a door and water starts trickling out from underneath the door. And then the water flow increases and gets up to the ankles. Then it gets to the knees, then it gets to the waist. Then it's so deep that all you can do is swim in it. Right? So that's, Ezekiel sees that vision, he prophesies that, And then here we have Jesus in John chapter seven. He's standing at the feast. Jesus is standing out in public and he says this. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus, who is the door by the way, stood, cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If he believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of, of the Spirit. This water he's talking about isn't water, it's the Spirit of God, it's the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Hadn't happened yet. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But Jesus takes basically the picture from Ezekiel of him prophesying of a temple and a door and water, and Jesus basically is, is the door. We are the temple, and his water will flow through us, is what he's saying right there. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy right there. I doubt anybody connected that in that moment when he said it. And interesting here to me is that Jesus, usually when he's speaking, we don't have it recorded. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a podcast of him speaking? We don't. We got these words. He don't exactly know the emotion Uh, you know, how loud he's talking. But here it says, one of the few times, there's only a couple times I can find, where it says he cried out. When he is saying this passage, he's not just teaching like the Beatitudes at that moment. He cries out. I'm thinking elevated voice, which I don't have the strongest voice, but probably stronger than mine. He cries out and he says those words. If anybody will come to me, Rivers of living water will flow out of you and your thirst will be quenched. Pretty amazing. You know, the other time he cried out was telling a dead man to get out of a cave, been there for four days. I think it was probably that type of level. But he said to Lazarus, he said, hey, everybody, come to me. Come to me. Believe in me. So before Jesus had begun ministering, JTB, John the Baptist, (laughs) was preparing the way, baptizing people in water. 
right? You all remember that? In Mark 1, verse 6, I'm going to read a lot of scriptures here this morning. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. How'd you like that diet for a while? Grasshoppers and honey. And he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John prophesies part of the mission and purpose of the Messiah, of Jesus, when he would come. And that purpose was to baptize in the Holy Spirit. To baptize in the Holy Spirit. Then, of course, what Jesus does is he doesn't baptize in the Holy Spirit. And that confused John. I've talked about this before. John was confused by that. And he actually sends messengers to Jesus, says, are you the guy? Or should we look for someone else? Because I prophesied you'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit. All you're doing is healing, raising the dead, setting captives free, but you're not baptizing in the Holy Spirit. Right? Of course, Jesus responds to him. But here's what's interesting. Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit but the timing in which he would do that was not while he was on the earth. It was the last part of his mission. When he said it's finished and he was hanging on a cross, that was, had everything to do with our redemption, paying the full price for our sin so that we could live forever. But then it says, even when Mary was grabbing hold of him after he rose from the dead, he said, hang on, I haven't gone to my father yet. I got one thing left to do. It says when he got Back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. It was like, tag, you're it. You go into the earth and baptize my people who believe in me, who are followers of me, baptize them with yourself. That was, I would say, the last part of the mission of Jesus to the earth was getting back to heaven. He had to get back there. This was the completion. And it's the very thing that John the Baptist prophesied and Joel prophesied and Ezekiel prophesied was that Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. And there are many times in our lives, something will, the Lord will speak to you. He'll speak a message to your heart. Someone may prophesy over you. You'll have a word that jumps out of you, or jumps out of the scriptures for you. And it doesn't happen when you think it should happen or when you'd like for it to happen. That doesn't mean it won't happen. Sometimes it's just not on our time schedule. Not when we think, hang on to that thing. Keep moving forward with that thing. Keep trusting, believing, hoping, praying, stepping out. Okay. In chapters of John, 14 through 17, he ex begins to explain the Holy Spirit. So right before he dies, he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful he did. In these chapters, 14, 15, 16, it's incredible what he explains there that we don't have any other place that starts to show us about this Holy Spirit that will be coming. And so let's start off with John 14, verse 12, one of my life scriptures here. You've heard me say this many, many, many times. Truly, truly, so there's emphasis on it. When he says truly twice, it's this is going to happen. This is real. This is, pay attention, basically. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, not just the apostles, he who believes, any person, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. One of the most radical scriptures in all the Bible. He's saying, if you've seen me do it, you can do the same and greater. That is nuts in some ways, right? To natural thinking. But in reality, it is heavenly and it's amazing. And then he describes further on here about the Holy Spirit because he's the only way what, he, what Jesus just said is gonna happen. Greater works than Jesus, doing the kind of things that Jesus did, and it's for me as well, not just for the 12. And we'll find this throughout the scriptures. Then Jesus brings understanding to John's prophecy in John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Oh, I love that. He's gonna ask the Father, when he got back to heaven, to send the helper, someone who would help us. That's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. He has several names. This is the primary one that Jesus uses. He's the helper. He's gonna help do things here. Man, there's nothing like a helper. Doesn't matter what you do. To have someone there to help is great. Now, God being that helper is even greater. God is the helper that he may be with you forever, not just for a little while. And he's not just gonna help for a little while. He's gonna help always. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. See, the world does not have the helper helping them. He's for those who believe because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. There again, he's taking what the Old Testament prophesied from Ezekiel and Joel and is now saying he will come and he'll live on the inside of you to help you from the inside, not the outside. You won't be praying to a God somewhere else. It's the spirit of God who will move into you and you are now the temple where he resides. And that's where those rivers of living water that Jesus talked about happen. So he says in this passage right here, he's saying several things. Jesus will ask the Father that the Holy Spirit be sent and given. The Holy Spirit is first called and identified as the helper. He'll be here forever. He's the spirit of truth. When there's lots of lying spirits out there, here's the spirit of truth. That's the one you get. And he's a person. And he's coming and will be with and in you. I am certain that when Jesus said this Passage. You know, I think the devil probably followed Jesus and the disciples around trying to figure out what is going to happen next and what do I need to try and stop and how do I kill this guy? And when Jesus said this passage right here, I'm going to ask the Father, he's going to send you a helper. He'll be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And then he's going to live on the inside of you. I think the devil cussed right there. I think he, I think he let loose with a barrage of foul language at that moment, because this is not what, it, you know, he was trying to just stop one person. Jesus then lets loose the truth that there are gonna be millions of Jesuses around in one sense. I'm not saying 
there's not the God. I'm saying, but the Holy Spirit, Jesus, see Jesus, as he's walking around, he is at one place at one time. Now he could, in his new body, disappear and show up somewhere else whenever he wanted to, but he's still one place at one time. The Spirit of the living God can be anywhere at any time in all of his people at all times and forever. The devil hates this. This is why Satan is always in the church, lying, trying to keep us from believing that what Jesus said is true. The devil does not want you to believe that the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of you right now. He does not want you to believe that the things that Jesus did, you can do, according to Jesus. Devil is going to tell you this. Oh, no. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Those things stopped. Those things died. Only reason there were miracles, and people have told me this, the only reason there are miracles is to just get people to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. That's why there were miracles. It wasn't because God loved people or anything or they cared about people. It was just to show that Jesus was God, and then now that stopped, it's quick. That is exactly what the devil wants people to believe. So that there's no power in the body of Christ. There's no reliance upon needing the Holy Spirit, a relationship and fellowship, which the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit. And so he's just like in a room somewhere of history. When that is not what Jesus paid for. It's not what he requested of the Father to have happen. He said, I want him to be with my people forever. 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 That's this age and the next. That's not just while we're here on the earth. Forever the Holy Spirit's going to be inside of you and with you. How about that? That's amazing to me. I don't understand how that works. But I want that. And I want to recognize that all the time and not let the enemy lie to me or lie to you. Do not let the devil lie to you about this. You are a carrier of the spirit of the living God. Wherever you are, wherever you go, regardless of what you feel like, the spirit of the living God lives on the inside of you. And he doesn't leave unless you want him gone. He is a gentleman in that way. But as we allow him in our lives, he will do things through us that are impossible to do. As we recognize that what Jesus said is true and believe it and open ourselves up to him, it's not scary, it's amazing. It's remarkable what he will do. Jesus goes on, John 14, I'll stop here in a moment, yep. We got a lot to go. Good thing we have three weeks. Jesus goes on to explain John 14, 25. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. There's some other things about the Spirit. And then drop down to John 16, verse seven. Jesus again says, I will tell you the truth. He's letting his guys in on this right now. They didn't need to know this until now. But since Jesus is about to die, he's like bringing them up to speed. This is what's gonna happen next. I'm gonna be sending the Holy Spirit. Here's what's gonna, he's gonna live inside of you and here's the kind of things he's gonna do. He's gonna, you don't have to even try and memorize everything I'm saying right now. The Holy Spirit will bring to your memory the things I have said to you. 
Isn't that a great word right there? I, I, I prayed that prayer when I'm sitting, uh, taking a test when I was in school. Holy Spirit, bring to my memory that which I learned, right? Absolutely pray that prayer. And then he says this in 67, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. That had to be so odd to them. It's your advantage that I go away. You know, anybody that you love in your life, if they tell you, you know, it's better for you that I leave and die, you don't believe it. And I don't think they did either. But Jesus is speaking the truth. It's to their advantage. Why in the world could it ever be an advantage for Jesus to die and not be with me, right, standing right next to me every day? That is how wonderful the Holy Spirit is. That's the only way this could be an advantage is if something even better happens. And the Spirit of God that Jesus sent to live, again, I'm going to say this 8,000 times, to live on the inside of you is better than just walking with Jesus. It's having Jesus, his Spirit, living inside of me. Living on the inside of me. I say this often, and I have to do this for myself because the world is so against everything that I've just been reading that I have to do this myself. I stand in my bathroom, I look in my mirror, especially if I'm feeling tired, lousy, whatever, and I look at those eyes, and I remind myself, Matt, behind those eyes is the spirit of the living God. He lives in there. He's in there right now. It doesn't matter what I feel like today. Yesterday, doesn't matter what I've done, he is there, he's living on the inside of me. What might happen today with him on the inside? And I give you my heart all over again, Jesus. And I give you my life all over, it's a great reminder. I would invite you to put a sticky on your mirror that says, remind yourself of who's inside. Something like that. Because we forget we forget, we compartmentalize. It's just an, it, the, the human nature is, it, it really lives in such a way where it compartmentalizes things. God is over there, here I am. When in reality, no, God is in here. He's in here. Okay, we'll finish with chapter 16, we'll be done. John 16, 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I love that he says here that the Spirit of God is the convictor. He's the one who convicts of sin. I have tried to convict people of sin before. Have you? I have. I have tried. And what that usually turns into is criticism, judgment, or control. That's not my job or yours. I'm just setting you free today. It's no one's job in here, not one person, to convict anyone of their sin. Now, that doesn't mean you don't speak the truth, but I'm not trying to take that truth and get them to feel bad. I am speaking something true, allowing the Spirit of God to convict, and he does it in such a great way. He's the one who does the convicting. He's the one who illuminates and brings truth. 
and he convicts of several different things. We could go on into this. I don't have time. Lastly, John 16, verse 12. I have many more things to say to you. I do too, Jesus. I feel the same way. <laughs> but you cannot bear them now because you've got to go eat lunch. No, that's... But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all truth. That's incredible. Talk about being against uh, a religious system that says you've got to have something from a man or you've got to have every, the scriptures interpreted like they did for, man, a thousand years in the Catholic church that only could come through one of the bishops or the pope or someone that could interpret the scripture for you so you don't misinterpret Jesus says the exact opposite. When you have the Holy Spirit on the inside, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. It also speaks of a relationship. If he's disclosing things, if he's guiding you and leading you, there's a relationship with the Spirit of God, not just the Father and the Son. Of course, they're one, but they have different roles. And the Bible actually speaks about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is the power of God, the ability, comfort, truth, guidance, help, conviction, strength, and wonder of God. And he's as close to you as your breath living on the inside of you. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.